Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Turn to Exodus chapter 6. Continuing in our series through Exodus. Will this be a pause as we have the carol services for the next few weeks? We're in Exodus chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 to 13. Page 48, if you've got one of the black Bibles, if you've got one of the larger print blue Bibles, it's page 57. Let's listen to God's words to us. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles again to Exodus chapter 6. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my first questions when I hear someone has you know, met a, a celebrity, uh, perhaps you know someone who has, uh, and one of my first questions is, well, what's he like? Uh, what's she like? You know, we, we, we've seen the person on the TV or uh, you know, on the sports field, but we want to know who the, the real person behind it is like. What are they, they actually like? 
Now, normally, if, we, if someone's met a celebrity, it, it didn't last very long. So the, the answer coming back is normally, oh, yeah, they were so lovely, or, um, or they're actually a bit rude, she didn't even really talk to me. Or, um, but it, but it, it doesn't actually really matter that much, because you're probably never going to meet them again. But it, it's very different if you're someone hoping to, to marry that celebrity, you know, and you, you go up to their best friend and you ask, what's she like? What's she really like? You know, there's a lot more at stake at that point. But I wonder, has, has anyone ever asked you, what's God like? What's God like? And this is more than just kind of a celebrity kind of question, isn't it? This is more like a marriage kind of question. Because you want to know, is this the real deal? Can I live my life fully with this God? Perhaps you're not a Christian here this evening. And you've looked on at friends, Christian friends who go to church, or perhaps you've been going to church for a while now, and you're wondering, well, who is this God that you guys seem to make such a fuss about? Who is he? What's he actually like? Is he the real deal? And that is a great question to be asking. And here in the book of Exodus, they're asking pretty much the same, actually. But for the Israelites, it's actually a question that's coming out of a really hard place. God had just got involved, and things had got actually a whole lot harder for the people. Pharaoh was asking, if you remember from last week, the impossible from them. To to work like never before. Not only make bricks for his new cities, but also they've now got to find the straw to make them with. And all in the same kind of time frame. And David preaching on this last week uh, showed us that there was this clash this, uh, of who they thought God was and what life was like. They just didn't seem to match up. Because it's in those struggles, perhaps in illness or when work life stretches us to breaking point, we know that our vision of people and things gets clouded. You know, it's hard enough with those close to us, like friends or our spouse. We're quick to blame, we're quick to judge, but, but with God, it's even more. We can't work out who he is when life seems so hard. And here in Exodus 6, God wants, us to, help, wants to help us to see, wants to help us to see, to see clearly what he's really like. Rather than hearing kind of third hand from a friend who's met a celebrity, God lovingly says to us, this is what I'm like. Let me show you. Now, he might not necessarily change our circumstances as we thought about this morning, but instead, we'll come to really know the one who can. Why? So that we'd base our life upon him in full assurance of faith, knowing he's got this. He's got us. He's the real deal. And it's all surrounding his name. His name, because his name means something. It reflects who he is. You might have noticed in this passage, God kept repeating, I am the Lord. It's there in verse 2, I am the Lord. Then in verse 6 and verse 8 again. And in this passage, he's filling out more and more what his name means. He's telling them what he's really like. Uh, Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, on first reading, that's a bit of a puzzling verse, isn't it? Because if you read Genesis, uh, you'll know Abraham knew God's name, the Lord. 
But I suspect what's going on here is that Abraham knew God, yes, as the Lord, but he didn't know what that meant. Instead, he knew more God as God Almighty. That name, God Almighty, it's El Shaddai. It often comes up when God promises to bless uh, bless them with a wonderful family. That's what Abraham knew of God. God of blessing, of promises, God Almighty. But now here in Exodus, it's not that the, the literal name the Lord is new. It's that he's now going to show them what his name means. It's like they're going to get a new perspective on, God, on the God they've always known. He's still the same God. He's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's a whole lot more to him than they realized. There are more treasure troves of, uh, of what he's like to explore further up and further in, he's saying. And that's true for us as it was then. God wants us to know him. Like a wife knows her husband, not like how I know a random celebrity. But as I said before, that can feel an impossible task because of our surroundings sometimes. What's going on around us, our circumstances, the pressures we're under, the strains of what's waiting us again as we walk out this door. And so God says, come and see what I'm like. Take a look at what I've done. Just look at how God introduces this whole section, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you shall see. As we look at the works of God, we start to get to know the God who works them. As Moses and the Israelites saw the Exodus unfolding before them, so they started to get what the name the Lord really meant, who this God really was who was with them. And Now we don't hear this anticipating our Exodus, we hear it looking back on what God has already done. We see Jesus, we see the manger, the cross, the empty tomb, the heavenly throne. And here in Exodus 6, God is showing us what to notice about that. As we look at Jesus and all that he did 2,000 years ago, what should we really pay attention to? You know, it's like when we're walking, you're walking around a massive museum and there's just so much to take in and so you end up not really looking at anything because your eyes just kind of scan from object to painting to statue. And so Exodus 6 is a bit like a guide. It's like God is with us as our tour guide, the, uh, 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 seeing the great sights and he's, he's pointing out to us a key detail or a specific object, a particular painting. He's pointing out the moments to really notice all to show us what he's like. And the first thing he wants to, to see is this. He loves us faithfully. He loves us faithfully. Let's read from verse two again. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slave, slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. God's highlighting for us here that he loves us faithfully. Just near the end of this little speech, we see his love expressed. Something we've seen time and time again through Exodus. Verse five, moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people. God's not indifferent to the plight of his people. He loves them, loves them with a deep love. He hears their cries. He sees the hardship they faced and he's moved to action. He loves in heart, in word, in what he does. He has compassion on them. 
And as God sees the people living around us today, now not under the bondage of Pharaoh, but under slavery to sin, wrecking ourselves and one another, unable to get out, also under the rule of the devil with his taunts and temptations and accusations, even under the fear of death itself, the the great enemies kind of lining up against us, he's not indifferent. He hears, he sees, he knows, he loves But there's more. He also wants us to see where it's all coming from. Verse four, I established my covenant with them. End of verse five, I have remembered my covenant. All these are about to do to show Moses it's all in relation to his covenant. Now what's a covenant? Well covenant, it's a promise. It's a promise to do something for someone else then confirmed with an oath. That's one of the closest things we have to it in our society is marriage. You know, we promise to love someone until death do us part and we confirm it with vows and signing of the register. And with, with God, he didn't just say he was going to bless Abraham and his family. He didn't just say he was going to make them into a great nation and give them the land of Canaan. Now, that would have been enough, but he then binds himself to that promise He pledges himself to these people in a covenant. And that covenant, it wasn't just for the Israelites. That covenant with Abraham, it was fulfilled fully in Jesus Christ. Just think of Zechariah when he sings, uh, when John the Baptist is born. He's singing of Jesus to come and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people in order to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we might serve him without fear. Jesus' coming is fulfilling this covenant, this covenant to Abraham. Or think of Paul's words. All the promise of God find their yes in Christ. As we look at Jesus, God wants us to notice it's love that's coming out of a covenant. It's love that's bound up in a promise, a promise that he's never gonna break. Now, why is he telling us this? Because he wants us to know his love isn't going anywhere. He loves us faithfully. It's promised love. As as Tim Keller writes about marriage, he says something that really helps us uh, in this. He says, love needs a framework of binding obligation to make it fully what it should be. A covenant relationship is not just intimate despite being legal, it's a relationship that is more intimate because it's legal. He's saying the marriage certificate doesn't squash love, it heightens it. It's a promise of love, not just while I feel like it, but also when I don't. Not just now, but also tomorrow. Not just when things seem easy, but when things are hard. It's promising a future me to a future you. It's promised love. And that's what God does. God has bound himself to love us, love us faithfully, love us continually. Jesus Christ, he didn't just come somehow to to, to make God love us. He didn't... He's not some third party that kind of twists God's arm to be good to us. No, God sends his son because he promised to love us. His love is bound up in his covenant, his covenant even to Abraham. His love isn't going anywhere. He loves us faithfully. And in the darkness of life, 
can be easy to imagine God's abandoned us. Yes, he sent Jesus, but what about now? What about tomorrow? What about the future? Because the future can often feel a bit like a black hole to us. But if we see Jesus as as a part of a whole declaration of love, if we see him as God remembering his covenant, as God keeping his word, as God holding to his promise, then we know he loves us faithfully. And that keeps going. Christ shows us how deep the covenant goes. It it shows us how far God will go to keep his word, even sending his son to die. As Paul said in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He was willing to do that to keep his covenant to us. And so we can trust him today and tomorrow and the next day. We can trust him in rain and in shine, in the bottom of the pit or on the edge of heaven. He's bound himself to us. Sometimes when I head away from home for a few days for work, one of my uh, children can can sadly wonder, is he going to come back? Now, is it their dad? You know, it's a kind of a crazy question. Of course I will. I'm your dad. I've bound myself to you. And like that child, life might feel like God's off somewhere. Perhaps that's what you're used to, people saying they'll stick around and yet they disappear, leave you again. And so you assume it must be true of God too. Is he going to come back? Well, may you let God point you to his covenant. As you look at all he's done, notice that he's acting based on his promise. Of course he's there. Of course he's got you. He's bound himself to us. He loves us faithfully. But more than that, secondly, he also saves us fully. He saves us fully. Uh, here in the, the next, section, next few verses, we've got three glorious steps of salvation. Let me read it again. Verse six. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I'll deliver you from slavery to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I'll take you to be my people, and I'll be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Here is the whole package of salvation. He saves fully. First, God brings us out. He brings us out. I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I'll deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you. What wonderful words to hear. God's salvation, first of all, brings his people out, out from all that held us. You know, imagine him throwing open the doors of our prison cell, grabbing the chains that hold us, ripping them off, and then taking us by the hand and leading us to freedom. And when God frees us, he isn't just happy with kind of getting rid of the surface issues. He goes deeper, deepest, right to the source. I think sometimes we can be tempted to think the, the gospel, the good news of God is, is just making life better. You know, that Christians are here, we're just here to kind of work towards and they stopping climate change or working towards the end of trafficking or, or work towards helping the homeless. And those are good and wonderful things. That's what our politics and charities can work towards, isn't it? But God isn't happy with just dealing with those symptoms. He's not about just painting over the cracks. He goes for the deep cause. He knows it's our sin that has separated us from him. 
eternally, under his wrath. It's our, it's our sin that has ripped through our world and our lives. It's our sin that causes fractures in relationships, that confuses our minds and hearts. It's our sin that has bound us and enslaved us. So that's where he goes. Jesus died and rose again to bring us out of that. He doesn't bring us out from slavery to Pharaoh, but from slavery to sin, from being under its power in our lives and the penalty that sat over us, the wrath of God. Scripture tells us that Christ became sin for us. Isn't that amazing? And so as he died, sin was canceled. So he, he brought us out from under the power of the devil. He disarmed him as, he, uh, as we were freed from the judgment we deserved. He brings us out. But it's not just out. God then brings us close, verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. This is a phrase that then reverberates around the Bible. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. God isn't just saving us for fun. He's not just saving us to make our lives a little bit better. He's saving us for closeness, for relationship, for friendship to be part of his family. God has made Israel his son. And here we see what that means. God's people are adopted to be close, to be known and to know. You know many of us will know some kind of close family relationship. Perhaps it's with one of your parents or a cousin or a grandparent. But there's something deeply freeing about it, isn't there? You know, even as they see our mistakes, they know our history, we can just be ourselves. Perhaps, I don't know, you have a brother or a sister around that you haven't seen them for a while, but it's just wonderful because there's always a chat, there's a, there's a hug at the end of it all. There's kind of a knowing, shared smile that says, nothing can take this away from us. And it's to something like that that God brings us, but not just to a family member, however wonderful that is, but to himself our maker and creator, our savior, our father, united to Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness and sonship, we're brought to our heavenly father, the father of lights, adopted and safe. It's what our lives ache for. It's why social media can be so addictive. We know we were made for connection, we were made for friendship, but those clicks and views, they just scratch the surface. We know we are made for a relationship that would be deeper, richer, and it's here with God. He brings us close. And thirdly, he leads us home. Verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. Amazing, God's salvation is complete. There's a final goal to it all. As, as the Israelites were pointed to the land of Canaan, so they knew, as we do, that they were being pointed to so much more, to the hope of a new creation, a world no longer scarred by earthly powers like Pharaoh, no longer scarred by the destruction of sin, but a place of freedom and of life, a place of worship and of grace. He leads us home. Over the past few weeks, it's been pretty traumatic and yet beautiful seeing the videos of uh, Israeli hostages being released and coming into the arms of their family. Their children stepping off the bus into their mother's arms. And the rescue for them, it's from start to finish, isn't it? From the, the dark tunnels of Gaza to their home back in Israel. 
It would be a horror if, if after being freed from those tunnels of Hamas, the, the Israeli forces just kind of left them and shelled out Gaza just to kind of find their way home. No, rescue has got to be from start all the way to the finish. Those hostages were brought right to the finish line, away from Gaza, yes, but also finally home, back where they belong. And God is no different. He brings us home. This world in this, in this state, it's not the goal. It's not the ending. He doesn't just leave us in this shelled out world. He leads us to where there'll be no more crying or pain, where the old order has been wiped away. He leads us home. He brings us out. He brings us close. And he leads us home. In short, he saves us fully. He saves us fully. There's, there's something incredibly all-encompassing about all of this. God hasn't left anything to chance. It's like that amazing beginning of the book of Ephesians, if you know, when, when Paul speaks of how we're chosen in Christ before the world began, how we've been redeemed in Christ, and that because of, uh, we have the Holy Spirit, we have a guarantee of a future inheritance. Each and every step of my life, of your life, is part of God's plan, beginning to the end. Whether the world feels like our oyster, like the lines have fallen uh, in pleasant places, or or whether the coming weeks and months feel like gaping holes, like pools of worry. Whatever it may be, God saves us fully. He's the captain of our lifeboat. He's steering it towards our heavenly harbor, even as the waves crash against it, even as if it feels like we're being knocked off course. God's leading us home. He saves us fully. He loves us faithfully. And he saves us fully. I suppose, in summary, what's our God like? He's a God of total grace, isn't he? A God of total grace. This wonderful passage has God saying, I will, seven times. It's all by him. It's all from him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see at the end of the passage that we really do bring nothing to it at all. Even if we attempted to take some of the credit for it, this passage leaves us with no doubt that it's all from God. Because it actually has a really discouraging ending. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Israel were done. Israel were broken. Slavery had wrecked them. They had nothing left. Even Moses is struggling to believe, verse 12, but Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. In the midst of it all, we've got the Israelites and Moses, and they couldn't hear, they couldn't see, they couldn't respond to God without God's help. You know, as we look around us, even as our own lives, before we became Christians, we know that people just can't see God. Perhaps like Israel, it's because of their circumstances. Life's just busy. Or, or just all-consuming and hard. There are bills to pay and parents to visit and friends to keep up with, debt to clear, health appointments to get to. And it, and it all means that people can't stop to look. They can't stop to think. Can't stop to see that the God who has sent his son to save them, blinded. And again, it's, at its root is sin. Even if life was easier, we still wouldn't see. The Bible says we're spiritually blind. We're deaf. We're dead even. And so it's all God's work. It's all his. He's the God of total grace. 
If we're to believe, then we need a heart transplant. We need God to open our eyes, him to open our ears. In short, we need a miracle. We bring nothing. We're a bit like a lost, terrified, lonely child, empty-handed, weak, nothing but the clothes on his back. We're like that child being found by the king with all the nation's might at his disposal. As we take steps on this journey of life where we're told again and again by society, you've got to do it. You've got to make it. We've got to make a name for ourselves. We've got to solve all the problems. We've got to change the world. But God doesn't put that burden upon us. He knows we can't. He knows we failed. Instead, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He says, I'm doing it all. I will love you faithfully. I'll love you when there's nothing lovely about you. I'm going to save you fully from start to finish. I am the Lord. I'm the God of total grace. I'm going to lavish grace upon you. And we see it all as we look at Jesus Christ, as we gaze upon the salvation we have in him. Perhaps this evening, the dark nights bring with them fear and worry. Well, may you see what God has done for you. May you know his love. And salvation, may the cross, may the empty tomb just sink a bit deeper. And may that give you comfort. Comfort as you approach the next day because even there God's grace is sufficient. Even when your spirit feels broken, even there the Lord is God. He's bound himself to you in his covenant. He's even sent his son to bring you home. What a God of total grace. Well, perhaps you feel a little bit like Moses. You, you wanted to share the gospel with those around you and no one seems to be listening. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps you've, they've been to a previous carol service or you've, you've read a bit of the Bible with them or you've had coffee with them and you've managed just to share a little bit of Jesus Christ, but they can't hear. They're deaf to what you're saying. Well, like Moses, we've got to let God be God. All we do is point to the Savior but it's God who does it all. He uses your words, that's his means, but it's by his spirit. And so like Moses, we then wait. It's, it's hard, isn't it? We, 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 we entrust ourselves and those around him, us to him, knowing he's the Lord, it's his grace. And finally, if, like I said at the start, you've been wondering who this God is that Christians are about, what he's really like, well, I hope and pray you'd come to know this God, the God of total grace, the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns with him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.